0: Hey, good morning, Seneca Community Church. Uh, it's great to reconnect with This Pastor Rick is here and um, just want to be able to introduce to you what we're doing for the next three weeks. Uh, Pastor Dave and I have talked about uh, sharing a video series with you. Uh, these are messages that we're doing here at Berean Bible Church. Uh, uh, you're getting just a sample of, of those uh, series. We're doing nine weeks here. Uh, but for three weeks, you'll be doing the same series called Respectable Sins. Um, When you think about it, there are some sins that we look at and we go, okay, those those are pretty major sins. They're things that stand out, and we we certainly want to avoid those. But this is a very convicting book. There's just just some some basic ideas here that are being confronted uh, biblically to say, yeah, I mean, those we might discount them. We might say that they're not that big of a deal. But when we look at it and consider it biblically, Uh, we realize it's still sin. And so uh, we're going to be working through this together. And I appreciate the opportunity to be able to fill in uh, for Pastor Dave while he's out, I don't know, buying New England Patriots stuff or whatever he's doing here for this this month. Um, And what we'll be doing is this week, we'll share a video of a message that I had here at Berean uh, regarding respectable sins. Next week, uh, you'll be seeing a video from Pastor Justin, who is our primary teaching pastor here at Breon, and so he'll be uh, sharing with you about a respectable sin as well. And then I'll have the opportunity to come up and actually be in person. And I, man, I'm really looking forward to spending some time with you and catching up and having some, some fellowship with you that following week. So uh, here's here's the message for this week, and looking forward to reconnecting with you again soon. I. I- we are going to be doing something kind of different here. Uh, we're actually sharing this, ser- well, part of this sermon series with a church in Romulus, New York called Seneca Community Church. So I want to uh, welcome our friends at Seneca Community Church. Um, their pastor is on sabbatical. And so we came up with this idea of, of sharing our messages from here, from the Green Campus. And then, uh, hey, I'm looking forward to being with you guys in August. I'll be up there and preaching live at their church. So listen, uh, we're, we're continuing this series on respectable sins. It's loosely based on this book by uh, uh, Jerry Bridges. And it's, it's those things that we look at and we go, ah, it's no big deal. You know, it, it's, it's, not, it's not a big sin. It's not really that big of a problem. It's not really hurting anyone. Respectable sins. Um, now, I don't know about you, but it's really cold in here this morning, isn't it? I don't know. And, and I don't know if you had any of the free coffee out there this morning, but man, that was pretty bitter. Yeah. And then, and then the worship team this morning, like did you notice like the bass was really loud? Like, I don't know. It's like rock music up here, right? Okay, you guys, most of you know me enough that you know I'm not serious, right? But I am trying to illustrate today's respectable sin. It's this word complaining. Now, you think about it and you go, okay, that's, is is that really a big deal? Is that a serious thing? Well, let me, let me give you some examples of this. Because sometimes we, we might look at this and say, okay, well, there's legit reasons to complain. And, and that, that may be true from time to time. But for the most part, usually it's it's something small it's something trivial it's something that's unimportant it's just our our preferences or it's just our our um, expectations are not being met now have you ever been in a circumstance in a store uh maybe you were the store employee but maybe maybe you were just a, a bystander you were you were part of the collateral damage but you witnessed somebody just actually going off and, and complaining right in fact, we have, a, we have a, t- a term for that today, a name for that kind of person. We call them a Karen. Now, I, my apologies to those ladies who have been born with the name Karen. I'm sure you're, you're already sick of hearing uh, about this. Uh, my, you know, I have my deepest apologies if you're a guy and your parents called you Karen um, but actually, it's probably your parents that should be apologizing to you. But maybe you've seen this kind of situation before where, where somebody is just not satisfied. Their expectations are not being met. And, and so they complain. Now, let me give you some examples. These are, these are actual complaints that were received by the Thomas Cook Vacations Company. So after people got back from their vacation, here's the complaints that they had about their vacation. Here's the first one. Although the brochure said that there was fully equipped kitchens, there was no egg slicer in the drawers. Wow, what a tragedy. How about this one? I was bitten by a mosquito. The brochure did not mention mosquitoes like, really? Come on. But here's my favorite one. This is my favorite one. When we were in Spain, all right, remember, where are they at? Spain. When we were in Spain, there was too many Spanish people there. (laughs) The receptionist spoke Spanish. The food was Spanish. No one told us there would be so many foreigners. Just a hint, you are the foreigner, right? But this, you know, these are silly examples, but, but complaining, you see, there's, and, and, and there's a lot of negative things that, that we can associate with that, whether it's being unthankful or ungrateful or, or resentment or, or jealousy, right? All those things, we can kind of lump them actually under a broader umbrella. One word that would cover all of these respectable sins, and that is this word discontent. You See, I think discontentment, it might not sound like a big deal. It, it, it might be, it might seem like it's something that we just write off for a bad day. We say, you know, we're, we're, we can overlook it because it's, you know, it's just a natural response to, to difficult situations. But what does God's word say about it? So if you would join me this morning, in Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. And we're actually going to look at three uh, sequential chapters here, 15, 16, and 17, and look at the nation of Israel as an example of this. Now, while you're getting there, let me remind you that these, you know, we're talking again about these sins that we, we call respectable. We're focusing on these over the next few weeks. They're things that that we might deem as minor sins, or we might overlook them completely and and ignore them as a sin. And and when we talk about sin, we define that as falling short of God's expectations. And so when we look at those things, oftentimes we do a comparison game. And and we we say, oh, this isn't really that important. Like, nobody is going to get hurt from this. Our respectable sins can't hurt anyone. Now, you know, it may seem like like a a nice little kitty, but in reality, it's a roaring lion because these respectable sins can have just as much damage in our life and then the lives around of the others around us. And so we need to keep that in the back of our mind as we look at these passages. So here we are in Exodus chapter 15. And now, just to get a quick overview of where we're at, the nation of Israel has just been delivered from generations of slavery in the land of Egypt. And God has just done some amazing miracles. They, they've just walked through the Red Sea on dry land. God parted the water and, and let the entire nation walk through on dry land. And then as soon as they got across the water, he did an, another miracle because he lo- allowed that water to come back when the army of the Egyptians were there. They, they had just witnessed this just a few days before. But yet, listen to what they say here in chapter 15. It says this, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went in the desert of sheer for 3 days they traveled in the desert without finding water and when they came to mara they could not drink its water because it was bitter that's why the place is called mara it's mara is, is literally hebrew for bitter so the people what's what's your what's the word that your bible says there the people what grumbled or complained the people grumbled against moses saying what are we to drink the people were grumbling against Moses. Now, sure, their circumstances were difficult. I, I can't imagine like, going through the desert for three days without water. That, that, is, that is challenging. But here's the thing. They had just seen God do some amazing miracles. Yet they're focused on their immediate needs, their immediate circumstances, forgetting about God's provisions and what God had done for them. And so God does another amazing miracle. What he does is he makes that bitter water drinkable, okay? But listen, that's not the end of their grumbling and complaining. Just go over one more chapter, go over to Exodus 16, and starting at verse 2, it says this. It says, in the desert, the whole community, what was, what's the word that you have there? Grumbled, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now poor Aaron, he's getting dragged in this, right? The Israelites said to them, If we only had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, like there we sat around pots of meat and, and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now listen, there's a little bit of revisionist history going on here. They're, you know, they're making it sound like the life in Egypt was uh, amazing. You know, we got to eat at buffets every day, but they're, they're completely overlooking the fact that they were slaves, but they're looking back and, and, and they're, they're saying, you know, oh man, we should, you know, we should have stayed in Egypt. So what does the Lord do? Well, we see the Lord again, responds to them with another miracle he starts this daily provision for him for them of manna bread literally bread from heaven and so they get they get water they get food they get all these provisions but yet guess what it's not enough so turn over one more chapter chapter 17 look look at what they what they say in, in chapter 17 Verse 2, it says, so they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they, what's the word you have in your Bible there? Grumbled. They grumbled against Moses. Moses. They complained and they said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord and said, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. So then God answers again with another miracle. He answers with water from the rock. Now, you might notice the pattern here. It seems like the pattern is that the nation of Israel complains and then God does a miracle. But let's set the record straight here. Just because the nation of Israel was complaining and whining doesn't mean that God condoned that or encouraged that. In fact, God uses this as an example of an ungrateful an unfaithful people yet he remains faithful to them. And so we see this play out and it comes to it ahead in Numbers chapter 14. And you don't need to turn there, but I just, I'll read a couple of verses to you from Numbers chapter 14, because as the nation of Israel gets ready to go in the promised land, here's what happens. It says that 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 night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled, there's that word again, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or, or out in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, at this point, God's patience with this ungrateful people had been exhausted. Because here's here's what he says. After, After Moses and Aaron come before God they plead before God on behalf of the people here's what God says the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and he said how long must i endure this evil community that keeps complaining about me i have heard the israelites complaints that they make against me tell them as i live this is the lord's declaration I will do to you exactly as I heard you say. You, you, you want to die out in the desert? You got it. That's your punishment. I'm tired of your complaining. In fact, it's interesting to note, twice in this passage, who does God say that they're complaining against? Him. Right, They're not complaining against Moses and Aaron. Their complaints really are a complaint about God. So listen, here's the point of all of this. See, the nation of Israel was so focused on their circumstances. They were so focused on their immediate needs that they had forgotten about God's provision. Now, here's the thing. It's very easy for us to look at scripture and, and look at the, the heroes of the Bible and, and want to place ourselves in their position. We all want to be the Daniels and, and the Davids of the Bible. But the reality is we're more than more than most times we're really the villains in the story. We're 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 the nation of Israel. We're we're just as guilty. It's easy for us to point back and, and point a finger at them. But, but the reality is, if we look at ourselves, the reason that those stories are there is to force us to look at ourselves and go, guilty as charged. We, we do the, the same exact thing. It's so easy to, to focus on the immediate circumstances, on, on what we can see here and now, and to forget how faithful God has been in the past. And, that, and the fact that God has provided for us over and over again gives us the hope and the assurance that God will continue to do that in the future. But yet, just like the nation of Israel, we, we wage our complaints. We, we share our frustrations. You see, we are just as guilty of this respectable sin called discontent. Now, let me add just one more perspective to this idea of discontent, because I think so far we've looked at talking about complaining about circumstances, but often we, we also complain about our finances. And it's not just circumstances, it's also finances. And, and here's, what, here's what Solomon said. He said, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth can bring true happiness. Now, I think I've been pretty transparent with you guys in the past that, hey, this is a personal struggle. Growing up in a single-parent home, growing up on welfare, my perspective of, of things is skewed. And, and I know, I have to be aware of the fact that one of my greatest struggles is I never have enough. Enough. Just a little bit more, but here's the thing that is a that is a sin that it is a quote unquote respectable sin, but that's a sin because it's discontent now a lot is being written about the wealth of of of, of today that disparity of wealth. And we've got people like Jeff Bezos and, and Elon Musk and Bill Gates. They have billions and billions of dollars. The, the, the estimate right now is that Jeff Bezos is reportedly worth about $200 billion. That, and that's just mind-boggling. But let me remind you of a of a fellow named John D. Rockefeller. So John D. Rockefeller, if we adjust his his wealth to today's dollars, the estimates is he, could, he, he would have been worth about $400 billion, $400 billion when he died. And here's one of the things that John Rockefeller said. He said, how much money does it take to make a man happy? Just $1 more. You see, that's, that's discontent. Now, don't get me wrong. It's, it's good to be wise with money. It's, it's good to work hard and to save and be prudent. In fact, Jesus had several uh, parables where he talked about the idea of investing and, and the idea of working hard. And let me be clear. Money is not the root of all evil. That's not what the passage says. The love of money, that's right. The love of money is the root of all evil. And so if you are more focused on money than you are with your relationship with God, that's when it's sin. And yet we we might consider that a respectable sin, right? Because we we rationalize in our mind and we say, well, listen, the more money I have, the more money I can give to the church. Right? But the fact is we convince ourselves. That it's not a sin. But listen, discontentment is sin. So, what's the answer? How how do we overcome this respectable sin of being discontent? As As we go through this respectable sin series, I think you'll see that every week we are going to go to the fruit of the Spirit as an antidote or something that correlates with each one of these respectable sins. And so, as we look at this list of the fruit of the Spirit, I think the one that stands out with us that is in contrast to being discontent is this word joy. Now, I love that Pastor Steve, with our graphics, has a pineapple here. This is is great. Usually, when you talk about the fruit of the Spirit... What's the one fruit that everybody uses up, you know, for the example? Yeah, usually it's an apple or maybe grapes. Sometimes you see grapes, right? Um, One of the problems with using grapes is it leads to a a misunderstanding of the passage. How many times have you heard somebody talk about this passage in Galatians chapter 5, and they talk about the fruits of the Spirit? Well, that actually is incorrect because as you look at the passage, it's very clear that it's singular. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you say, okay, you're, you're being a little picky here, but the, the important uh, thought behind that, the important principle is this. The Holy Spirit working in our life is going to produce all of these things. It's not like the gifts plural of the Holy Spirit, that one of us might have the gift of teaching. Another one might have a gift of administration. Another might have a gift of, of um, helps, being caring for people or hospitality, right? Those are different gifts. But, but what we see in Galatians 5 is the fruit It is a collective example of what the Holy Spirit is going to do in our lives, so let me read this list to you and see that joy is a part of that fruit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is joy, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or some, some passages may say long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and last week we talked about self-control. Against such there is no law. So listen, this is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. It's not something that we can conjure up. If you are a Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit, it dwells within you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we should be able to demonstrate these uh, aspects, these characteristics of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. We should be able to demonstrate those things. You see, and, and true joy, biblical joy, is a supernatural thing. It's something, it's a perspective that the Holy Spirit can give to us. It's not something that we can do out of our own strength. Now, Paul, who wrote this in Galatians, also had more to say on this on the subject. He, he said to his mentoree, uh, Timothy, he said this, Yet true godliness... With contentment is itself great wealth. Sometimes we want to look at finances as a measure of wealth, a measure of wealth. But yet, Paul is saying that that contentment, godliness with contentment, accepting the circumstances that God's given you, accepting the wealth that God has given you. and how to experience real, true joy. James takes it a step further. James says, not only should you have joy like in, in just your, your everyday circumstances, but he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So not just in the, the everyday circumstances and challenges of life, but, but when you are facing like the most difficult times in your life. Consider it. So that's an interesting word, consider it. Because what it is, is it's saying, make the choice to experience true joy, pure joy. Allow the work of the Holy Spirit in your own strength, in our own power, we can't do this but allowing the power of the holy spirit to work in our lives and to overcome these feelings of discontent now here's the challenge with this is oftentimes we confuse joy and happiness see joy is not an emotion it's not a it's not a reaction of woo you know this is great Joy is a choice, and it's a God-given ability to overcome circumstances, to be able to have joy and rest in the assurance of God's provision despite our circumstances, despite our trials, and despite our difficulties. You see, that, that is true joy. So if we're really to understand this biblical principle of joy, I would encourage you to spend some time in the book of Philippians. If, If you are really struggling with this, this area of discontentment, I would challenge you to sit down and read through the book of Philippians, read through the entire book in one sitting. In fact, I would encourage you to go beyond that and spend some time and really study the book of Philippians. Because the book of Philippians consistently and constantly throughout the book talks about this principle of joy. And when you consider the fact that the apostle Paul most likely was writing this book to the city of Philippi from a Roman prison, right? He was in this dark, dingy cell, and yet he's writing to them about joy. And he's saying to them, like, here's some examples of how how Jesus lived a sacrificial life, and you should do the same. And And he talks through all of the difficulties and challenges that he faced. And yet, he can have joy. And so he's encouraging the Philippians and he's encouraging us today that despite those difficulties, despite those circumstances, we can choose to have joy. And listen to what he says. In Philippians 4 verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He's learned the secret. So Are you interested? Like, do you want to know the secret? All right, here's the secret. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Wow, it was really cool to to see that generosity story about seed company this morning. And to see that, that same principle, that same concept, that despite challenges, despite circumstances, despite difficulties and trials... We can have the assurance that we can endure, that we can overcome discontentment, that we can have actual joy in difficult situations through the power of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, sometimes this passage gets taken way out of, of context and, and misapplied. You know, people, people, certain translations say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that's not the context of the passage. It's talking about overcoming difficult circumstances and having joy. So here's the thing. As we talk about this respectable sin of discontentment, Let's go back and and think about the nation of Israel and, and what we've learned about them. Because through them, we get a better picture of ourselves. And while we look at them and it seems to be that they were complaining about Moses, the reality is God recognizes their complaints as an affront to him. And so I think one of the things that we need to walk away this morning from is, and, and learn and understand is that discontentment is a complaint against God. And that's why, it, that's why it's sin. Because, you see, if we really believe that God is in control, then a comp- our complaining is saying, God, why aren't you taking care of this? It, it, we're literally like shaking our fists at God and saying, you are not enough. Or, or you really don't care for me. Or you really aren't going to do the things you said you were going to do. Now listen, so here's a, here's a really interesting way to expose this in our own lives. And I know this is going to sound weird. But when you catch yourself complaining, add this phrase to the end of the sentence. All right? The phrase is this. God has blessed me with. All right, let me. you got that? God has blessed me with. Let me give you some examples. Like, I am so fed up with that coworker that God has blessed me with. Right? Or, or I just can't stand being around that person that God has blessed me with. Or or how about this one? How am I supposed to live with that jerk of a husband (laughs) that God has blessed me with? Do you see, the, do you see the, how it exposes our sin of discontentment? And the fact that it is, it's really a discontentment is a complaint against God. If we, if we say that God has given us and blessed us and put us in circumstances, but yet then we complain about those blessings, we complain about those circumstances, we are literally complaining against God. But listen, there's a solution. Because joy is choosing to trust God. It's a choice. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not something that we can conjure up on our own. It is the result of the Holy Spirit working in us, refining us, changing our thinking so that we see things from a heavenly perspective. Now listen, I could go on and on this morning with biblical references. But I think sometimes we need like real life examples of this. To help us truly understand. It's it's one thing to go back thousands of years and look at in the nation of Israel. It's one thing to to listen to something that the apostle Paul wrote about 2000 years ago. But how about a real life example that we can see today? And I can't think of a better example for us as Bereans right now than this lady right here. Now listen, she didn't wake up one morning and go, you know what? I want Pastor Rick's hairstyle, (laughs) right? Vanessa has gone through seven months chemotherapy. And it would be very easy. It would be almost expected that her response to this trial in life would be grumbling and complaining. Like if we're honest with ourselves, we grumble and complain about the stupidest, littlest things. But I can tell you that Vanessa, through this trial, You can't deny the fact that she has exhibited joy. And she didn't conjure that up on her own. It's true spirit-led, spirit-driven joy that despite her circumstances, she still has been pointing people to God. Now, if you've seen her singing up here, if you've spent any time with her, you can't help but see the joy of God shining through her life. You see, and it's it's more than just her powerful vocals or her enthusiasm as she sings. It's a a God-given ability to choose to trust God. You see, joy is choosing to trust God. See, instead of focusing on her struggle and her 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 circumstances, she has been a great example of what it means to trust God in difficult times. But here's the thing according to God's word, you can do that too. According to God's word, I can do that too. As a Jesus follower, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us to be able to choose joy no matter what our circumstances are. Joy over discontent. That, what, that is what God expects from us. Would you stand with me as I close in a word of prayer? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. And this morning, this message has been primarily to those who have accepted Jesus as their personal savior. Those who have made the decision to be a Jesus follower. But this morning, if you're listening to this and you're hearing this message and you're going, there is no way. I just can't do that. You know what? You're right. You can't do that without the power of God within you. But if you've never made that decision to trust what God has done for you, the fact that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for your sins and that Jesus defeated death and defeated sin, he rose again three days later. If you've never made that decision to trust him, you don't have that power. You can't do these things. And so I would encourage you this morning to reach out to somebody. And give us the opportunity to show you from God's Word how it is that you can become a Jesus follower. But for those of you that are listening this morning and you've made that decision, you know that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, then you have the power. You have the secret that Paul talked about of having joy despite our circumstances. And I would challenge you this morning, to allow that power of the Holy Spirit to work through you and to overcome the respectable sin of discontent. Our gracious God, we come before you this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning collectively. God, we thank you for the opportunity of being able to look at your word. And God, when we look at the nation of Israel and we look at other examples of the bible help us to understand that that's us like we're guilty of those things too but god we thank you even more that you have provided for us the answer jesus promised to his disciples a comforter and and we see that as as the the time of pentecost came and and the church began that you provided the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to the people. And we know that as we've put our faith and trust in you, that that you have given us the Holy Spirit to indwell us and and to give us the strength and power to do amazing things. But they are all through your strength and your power. So God, help us to overcome the sin of discontent. And God, help us to have experience real, true joy, pure joy, joy from you through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we just thank you and praise you for all of these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.